Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Jordan McFarlane and joining me today is Transfer Market Insider and Pundit Extraordinaire, Ian McGarry. Duncan Castles is off on his holidays, but rest assured, he'll be back on the pods as normal next week. On today's Transfer Window, we've had a flood of questions about potential summer transfer news. So we've collated a list of the eight players who we think could be set for big moves when the window reopens, so expect insight on the situations of Paolo Dybala, Eden Hazard, Neymar, David De Gea, Christian Eriksen, Adrian Rabiot, Lorenzo Insigne, and Kaladu Koulibaly. And we give out the most anticipated reward in football, the donkey, who will join Maurizio Sarri and Neymar in the Hall of Fame. Or should that be Shane? Ian, we've got this list, and I'm looking forward to getting your insight as to who's going where. Well, I'm impressed, Johnny. Um as ever with the calibre of, uh, you know, the intelligence and articulacy of our listeners. Uh, I hope that reflects well on us as a podcast. Uh, we often get feedback saying that we, we, you know, we inform and entertain, which obviously is our um, ambition and uh, w- what we would want to do. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, doing a, this uh, quite special, I feel like, edition. One transfer window closes, but as we all know, the big clubs start working on summer transfers now. And so um, let's get started. Who, who do you want to go with first? Well, well, first of all, I just want to make a comment about Mr. Castles not being here. I mean, this very <laughs> much has the feeling of the adults being away and the kids taking over. Well, I'd like to think that's the case. I mean, you know, he does tend to... Um, he's a bit be, older uh, than us, isn't he? He's, 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 he, he comes across <laughs> as the uh, sort of stern headmaster of the transfer window. So I think, yeah, we can have a bit of fun. And uh, as I said, it'd be nice to let our listeners get a little bit of insight into what they can expect in the next few weeks and months. Okay, well, we're going to start with uh, UV's Paolo Dybala, a player that I've been watching intently. Ian, I think he's an extraordinarily skillful and exciting player to watch. What's the, the latest on his situation? Because we have touched on it before in the transfer window. It's been going on for a while, Johnny, probably at least a year to maybe 18 months uh, with regards to Dybala's desire to test himself outside of Serie A. Um, he's a young man, 25, so you could say not even at the peak of his career. Um, remarkable uh, return of 165 appearances for Juve, 75 goals, making him you know close to that magical one in every two games, and 31 assists as well. He plays, for those of you who aren't um, familiar with him, Mainly as a second striker, but can play slightly further back as an attacking midfielder. Now, Dybala has made it clear, um, I think, both to his um, his representatives, who happen to be his family, um, and also, I think, his teammates, that um, having won um, uh, the Scudetto 
uh, also the Coppa Italia. Um, in, and he feels like he's done as much as he can at Juventus, and uh, he feels like he would want to. He wants to leave now. <clears throat> this is a common pathway from Serie A to La Liga, and I would say the two most interested parties for his signature would be Real Madrid and Barcelona. Although Barcelona clearly have um, quite a good stock of strikers already, but I think they have to start planning ahead. Um, with regards to both Messi and Suarez being over 30 um, and maybe the introduction of a younger player like Dybala could help um, push them on to greater things but also give them an option. However, I would not rule out moves by Manchester City and or Manchester United. This is a player who is within spending range. Um, Contract runs out in 2022 but will be available for 110 million euros or thereabouts. So you're looking at maybe just under the 90 uh, £8 million pounds mark. Um, as I said, great investment, has sell-on value, <clears throat> proven himself at the highest level in Champions League as well. So my information is Dybala will agitate to move from Juventus this summer. And the way that Juventus are spending the transfer market um, after the even after the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo uh, last summer, um, they, I think, have already got plans to replace him. So I'd say Dybala watch out La Liga or Premier League and it will happen this summer. Yeah, I'm going to take us off at a tangent because I'm interested in your insight on something you've brought up there, which is that the player's family are involved in his representation. Mm. You have dealt with agents over your career and Mm. I wondered what difference that makes from having professional representation in your experience. Does it make it more Uh, difficult for clubs or does it make it easier? It makes it more difficult for the clubs because what you've got is uh, um, you've got to test the loyalty of the player to his own blood relatives with regards to negotiation. But what makes that harder than anything else, and we've seen this um, with Neymar's father who represents him, and it was Neymar's dad who effectively forced through the, the move to PSG because of the amount of money I think he secured around just under 50 million euros personally for his part in persuading his son to leave Barcelona for PSG. So I think in the case of Dybala, his family um, brother in particular sees um, that he is effectively underpaid at Juventus for um, his level of quality and performance and that he would easily make three or four times that amount of money um, playing either in Spain or England, uh, looking at the sort of 250 to £300,000 a week mark for a player of his quality. And obviously the commission fee in a deal of that magnitude Remember that uh, Mino Raiola negotiated a 25 million euro um, commission from Juventus when he secured the 86.7 million pounds move of Paul Pogba to Manchester United. So um, it's definitely the case, Johnny, that families are getting more involved, uh, not less. And one of the reasons for that is the financial gain that they can make from um, being part of that transfer. And clubs are prepared uh, to pay that. Um, I can't mention the name of the player or the club last summer, but one a deal that I was involved in. And the reason the deal got done was because the father of the player, who was his agent, was paid €1 million Euros net uh, in commission. And this was not a big transfer. In fact, that million euros probably represented about 33% of the full transfer fee, but was paid separately by a club just to make sure they got the player. So that shows you how um, influential the relatives of 
um, players are when it comes to negotiations. Yeah, a Scottish football manager once said to me when we were talking about youth development and what advice he would give to young players, he said, choose your parents wisely. <laughs> and I suppose that advice would become even more prevalent if uh, your parent was going to be your agent as well. Um, so we'll move on to the next player on our list, which is Eden Hazard. Well, I think, you know, this is a, bit, a saga that's been running without um, a full commitment by the player um, to say where, he, where he's playing football. Um, I would like to remind our listeners that last summer before the transfer window even closed, um, I um, said on, on this show that I believe that Hazard already had an agreement with Chelsea that he would stay one more year and that they would allow him to leave uh, in the summer of 2019 and his destination would be Real Madrid. And I made that point and um, said that that's why Hazard was so calm. Uh, now, what's happened since then? Well, he recently... Um, admitted in a France football interview um, that he asked Chelsea to leave after last summer's World Cup. He wanted to move then, but was persuaded to stay. Tick. That's that's what we revealed as well. We said that he'd been persuaded to stay for one more year. Then he followed it up with uh, an interview um, only this week in um, a Belgian newspaper with a very a journalist who's very close to him and his family. Friend of the it, transfer window. Friend of the transfer window, Christophe Terrer, absolutely. And in it, he said, I know what I'm doing in my future and I'm very happy with it. Now, given that there's been no negotiations whatsoever with Hazard and Chelsea, despite Chelsea constantly, constantly trying to get him and his legal representation, he doesn't have an agent as such, um, he has some lawyers who deal with his contract negotiations around the table. I think that's, you know, I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's not the end of the story, but it's the biggest hint yet that that's where he's going to be heading. Now, unfortunately for Chelsea, Hazard's 28 and has only one year remaining in his contract come 30th of June this summer, which means by calculation and market forces, they'll be lucky to get anything over 100 million euros for him. Um for a player, I mean, don't get me wrong. They've made, they've made, they've done well because they they bought him for I think around seventeen million pounds seven years ago. So it's a massive um, profit on the player himself. But remember the wages they've paid Hazard throughout that career. He's had four upgrades in his contract. Currently earns around two hundred sixty thousand pounds a week. So you've got to take that into consideration as well. But again, a bit like Dybala, I think Hazard has felt. He said himself, "I've won everything in England," and of course he hasn't won the Champions League. So he wants to be, you know, a Ballon d'Or contender. He wants to win a league in a different country. He wants to be in a position to be challenging for the Champions League, which Chelsea haven't been um, since they won it in 2012. So, uh, as I said, like Dybala, look out for Hazard on the move. And I, I think Real Madrid is the only, only option. We've talked about how Hazard is slightly different from the stereotypical money-grabbing footballer that you see when these transfer uh, deals are, are discussed, you know, the way it's portrayed. Um, is there not a sense, even though he is slightly different, that he might look at a £100 million or €100 million Euro transfer fee and think to himself, hmm, if I wait for another year, how much of a chunk of this could mm. I slip in my back pocket? True, but I think, go back to your original point, Johnny Hazard, uh, and this is that knowledge that I have of the player himself, having met him on many occasions and spoken to his family. He is an, an untypical footballer 
uh, in that he money is not what drives him. It's his own ambition as a footballer, him enjoying his football and his family's happiness. Now, it's certain that he and his children and, and wife are very happy um, where they are living in Surrey, next near to Chelsea's um, Stoke Tavern and training ground. But I, do, I, I don't buy the... He doesn't have the ambition to want to leave and go prove himself in a, in a different league at a club like Real Madrid, um, where he'll be playing with, I would say, much better players, certainly when um, Florentino Perez splashes the cash this summer because they've not really opened that um, rather stupendous uh, war chest at the Santiago Bernabeu for some time now because of the uh, difficulties with managers and investment and everything else. So, um, yes, he he puts happiness over um, financial gain, but as I said, I don't buy the fact or buy the, buy the idea that he would happily stay the rest of his career at Chelsea in the hope that he might win the Champions League there, or in fact... Worse than that, and you hear a lot of players sometimes say this, um, I've certainly heard it from a few players personally, I wish I'd taken that move when I was offered it. And they have regret for the rest of their lives about not actually you know, taking on that challenge. So I, I do fully expect Hazard to be leaving. We're going to jump on the Eurostar now and head for Paris, where Kylian Mbappé has essentially eclipsed Neymar who went to Paris because he wanted to become the best player in the world and win the Ballon d'Or. Do you think that, given his failed project, he might want to get a move back to Barcelona or Spain just generally? Well, as um, Dr. Castles in Abstentia has said many times um, with Neymar, the problem here is twofold. One, his salary is so astronomical. We're looking at in excess of £500,000 a week um, that it is difficult to replicate that anywhere at any club, never mind, you know, even just Real Madrid, Barcelona. And so he's not going to move for less money. He moved, let's face it, he moved to Paris for the money. So he's not going to move anywhere else for less money. Um, the project hasn't quite, you know, transformed or transpired as he thought it might. Champions League um, has been disappointing. Um I think he, he probably plays about 16 to 18 meaningful games a season, most of them in the Champions League. Uh, the other ones against the likes of Marseille and Lyon, their closest contenders who they're, I think, currently 12 points ahead of. Uh, and we're only in the beginning of February. So, um, And he's now mysteriously got yet another injury which allows him to enjoy both his own and his sister's birthday, which <laughs> happens every year. And, and that in itself shows you the power that he has. Uh, over his employers. Uh, I'm not saying he doesn't have a metatarsal injury, I'm just saying it's weird how he always gets injured at the same time. Now, the second aspect of this is that uh, the project, which is, as we all know, is financed by the Qatar state, um, royal family, um, they made such a big deal of buying Neymar out of his, his contract to Barcelona that it would be embarrassing for them to allow him to leave, unless, of course, they had a replacement to come in or they felt like you know they could effectively get some of that huge investment back, uh, and at the same time, now remember as well that Paris Saint Germain are currently under investigation for financial fair play um, misregulation, um, as Manchester City. Um, and like one thing you know about Brazilian players, especially the superstar ones, if they really, really want to leave, they will agitate and they will. Um, gripe and whine and cry and maybe throw themselves around the pitch a bit and dive until they get the move they want. 
as I said, the problem with Neymar is his his current deal is so astronomical that it would be difficult for many clubs to match it. However, the one man who constantly surprises us with his buying power, with his ability to charm people is... Daniel Levy? You took the (laughs) the words right out of my mouth. However, in this case, Florentino Perez, I would say, would be the one. And of course, going to play for Real Madrid, having played for Barcelona, has its difficulties, but, you know, Luis Figo did it... um, so I, I, you know, I think had to Neymar, dodge a pig's head, and as a consequence, so, didn't he, he did, he did, but he dodged it well, and he didn't even go down. Neymar would probably be in hospital for two weeks <laughs> if someone threw a pig's head at him. But um, I'll just throw a little, a little cur- curveball here. Um, I, look, he clearly has two options: that is, stay at, at PSG and take the money and and see what happens. There may be a new manager next season, and we've talked about the possibility of Jose Mourinho going there. Maybe that would help. Um, Real Madrid is definitely an option on the table Perez has contacted him personally on several occasions to say we will meet any fee that the PSG demand and we will see you financially uh, at least the same but my curveball is Manchester United Mm. because they tried and tried and tried with Neymar's dad and with his other agents um, two years ago before he joined Paris Saint-Germain he came very close to saying yes um, if Manchester United can get into the Champions League, if the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer proves to be the genius that everyone says he is, um, I'm not saying that that would influence Neymar miraculously, but it's the kind of stage that Neymar craves. And at the moment, Paris Saint-Germain does not give him that stage that he craves. Whereas if he was at the Santiago Bernabeu, tick, absolutely. Old Trafford, tick, but again, wages, but... I've got a feeling that Manchester United um, are looking for a global superstar to um, effectively uh, galvanise their corporate commercial activities. They don't currently have one, um, and I think they want to go back, and the Glazers are willing to push the boat out. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be Neymar, but Neymar's got to be in that frame. Sticking with PSG, Adrian Rabiot. Well, uh, this is a very interesting one because um, this is a player who's been training with um, PSG's youth team, well, not quite under 23s, for the reason that he's refused to sign a new contract. He's at contract again, 30th of June this summer. Um, he's 23 years old. He's already a full international. Um, he plays mainly as a central midfielder. It's very, very, um, very uh, efficient with the ball, including his passing movement, um, his range of passing is exceptional. Um, he's played as a defensive midfielder as well, so he can tough it up and, and uh, break up play. Um, he's played 227 times uh, for PSG, even at the tender age of, of 23. Um, and that's and, a tough team to, to get games in. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, ex- exa- exactly, exactly. And... Um, and one of the reasons he wants to leave is because he doesn't see a, you know, a really glorious or you know, brilliant future for himself there because he knows that PSG will simply recruit players you know, when and if they feel like it and if they're earning more money, if they're a bigger fee, then he'll be the one that, that goes out of the team. So like you said about you know, would Hazard be tempted to run his contract down and take a big slice? Well, I think Rabiot has already had his head turned Mm-hmm. Uh, with regards to you know his representatives and said no we'll just go out a contract in June 30th and we will sign for a club 
and you will benefit hugely and of course the agent will benefit hugely. Um, already on the radar are Liverpool and Arsenal in the Premier League, both of whom obviously, if they're getting a player for free and um, you know, we've heard reports this week that Arsenal only have a transfer budget of £40 million. So getting one for free would be a, a massive boost for them. I think Liverpool, we've seen in the last couple of performances, Naby Keita and Fabinho, although he obviously played at um, right back, but you know, has played and should play at centre midfield, have not quite shown themselves to be the players that I think Liverpool fans and Jurgen Klopp expected them to be, especially with the, um, the fees that were paid for both players. Um, so... Rabiot would be a very, very good addition there as well. The only thing, as I said, there's, there's one other club who are interested in him and I think who Rabiot would be perfect for, and that would be Bayern Munich. And they certainly would have the financial wherewithal to take him uh, on a very lucrative contract and without a fee. So I think the the auction of this summer's window, which has already begun, is for Adrian Rabiot. He's got a he's a kid with a lot of options, isn't he? Right, we're going to move on to another midfield player, and we've already mentioned his boss, Daniel Levy. It's uh, Christian <laughs> Eriksson. Christian Eriksson again, interesting. Um, Seventeen months left in his contract, has already rejected three different contract upgrade offers from Tottenham. Tottenham got him for a very reasonable price when he when he moved there. I think he's developed into one of the most um, complete midfielders in European football. Uh, I love watching him. Um, I've used the, the phrase, he's got soft feet in the past, and I think Ericsson has got soft feet. This control of the ball is wonderful. Um, he scores goals. Uh, he is a very, very athletic, and he can he can take a tackle and give a tackle as well. I think he is, and you know, Spurs fans won't thank me for this, but I think he's above their level um, and can play easily. Uh, for any of the biggest clubs in the world. Barcelona have already made contact um, with his representatives with regards to talking about a, a deal that would more than double his wages, which currently are around £67,000 per week. So you're looking at the Premier League at the moment, Johnny, and the average wage, and I'm talking average, say, journeyman football in the Premier League, is just over £53,000 a week. And he's Ericsson, one of the most outstanding players in that, and he's getting... Uh, about what twelve grand a week more than the average. Than That's the average like robbery. Well, you know he's already turned down one hundred and ten um, as well from Tottenham. I think he's he'd be looking at between one hundred and fifteen two hundred thousand, which in the current market I'd say he's worth every penny. So Barcelona inter- interested, of course. We you've always got to mention Real Madrid because they're in for every decent player. Um, and again, I go back to Bayern Munich's need for central midfielder, creative midfield. Um, that they're looking at Rabiot as well. Another interesting one, because of his contract situation, um, his age, you're looking, Spurs will be, they'll be lucky to get what Daniel Levy would want. Well, no, they won't get what Daniel Levy would want because that'll be 100 million euros <laughs> or, or 500 million euros probably. But um, current market um, valuations, year at contract, his age, I think you're looking at between 50 and 70 million euros. And that would be a steal for a player of Ericsson's quality. Yeah, um, especially when you think Sigerson went for 50 million. Yeah. The thing is, we've always got to remember, um, and you know, Duncan mentioned it um, earlier on um, our Monday transfer window pod, uh, pod this week, that um, Josie Mourinho pointed out that, that Manchester can no longer simply take 
Tottenham's best players like they did with Berbatov and Carrick in the past and because Tottenham have now got a structure where they um they're not in debt, so they, they don't they're not being forced to to, to sell. Um and of course they've done the same with Toby Alderweireld, who also is out of contract um a year in the summer, although I think he will also leave this summer. But um with Ericsson, I think he's getting a bit bored. He's you know, he's frustrated by the lack of improvement in the last two windows. He um he loves the players he plays with I think but he, I think he sees himself playing with better quality players so he want to win something as well he's getting to an age where he want to have some trophies yeah to show absolutely for his Johnny yeah and I think every player must look at that as well and he's a real competitor so um I think it's highly unlikely that Levy would sell to another Premier League club even though you would get interest from City United Chelsea um, would definitely be. Uh, Liverpool as well would definitely be interested if you know if he's on the market, but I think Levy will will be more lenient uh, towards him leaving, uh, not for a Premier League rival, but for uh, a, a club in Europe. So um, that's one to watch because I think Ericsson is a strong-willed young uh, individual um, who won't just simply sit and say yes, Daniel, thanks very much. Um, so unless Daniel Levy comes out with a contract offer which is way above what they've so far um, put to him, then I think Ericsson will see his way out. OK, well, we'll go up to Manchester now for a player we've discussed uh, in a quite a bit of detail. Uh, I believe is the best goalkeeper in the world at the moment, in my opinion, is David De Gea. He's got another year at the end of this season left in his contract and it looks like Manchester United haven't made any inroads in terms of getting that renewed. What's happening? Well, it's interesting that Marcus, uh, sorry, that Anthony Martial signed a new five-year deal in the last 10 days, that Marcus Rashford is currently renegotiating his deal. So United are doing something, uh, they're being proactive, which they've not necessarily been in the past two to three years. Uh, They hear they've been trying to re-sign on a new contract for about two years. And the pattern so far has been um, they have negotiations, they make an offer, the ASS will think about it, then he says no. Um, then they, you know, six months later they come back to the table and blah, 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 they do the same and he says no. Um, he wants to be Manchester United's highest paid player. I think he's probably the most valuable player, and by that I mean on the pitch, not in terms of um, transfer fee commanded. He's in a good position again because he's a year out of contract in June. Uh, he could go for free, and we know that with goalkeepers, even though he's I think currently thirty, I think or twenty nine, um, goalkeepers can play easily till they're thirty six, thirty seven. And he is one, I think, who will play that long. I think his dreams were shattered last summer when Madrid opted to sign Thibaut Courtois, Real Madrid, that is. And his long-held ambition of playing um, in goal for Los Merengue, when I think he saw disappear um, at that moment. I also believe, personally, that that affected his World Cup performances uh, for Spain um, because his head was all over the place but he's come back to Manchester United uh, playing behind a defence that we all know is leaky and dodgy and come up with some remarkable performances not just to keep United in games but to to win them games which is what he's been doing consistently for the last five or six years so um, again his options in terms of his own ambition would be limited um, with Real Madrid being closed Uh, I would suspect that um, PSG, who as we know have signed uh, Gianluigi Buffon for one year only, that contract expires in the summer, would be absolutely, um, you know, first in the queue to sign David De Gea. But does David De Gea 
want to play in Liga? Does he does he think he could challenge for another Champions League title there? I'm not sure. Um, I, I think that I think it's quite a simple binary choice. It will be stay at United under a very much improved deal, or um, potentially move to Paris Saint Germain and get that bumper deal that you know basically will make him a very rich man um, for as long as he lives. Okay, well, we're going to a part of the world that's very special to my heart. I've been going to the Amalfi Coast and the Napoli area for the last 20 years, Ian. I even got married there. So I'm well, a big Napoli fan, so you better not be telling <laughs> any of my favourite players. I got engaged in the Amalfi Coast as well, Johnny, so I'm a big fan. And that was only that was only uh, two years ago. Uh, sorry, three years ago. So... Um, so there you go. Uh, it must there must be something in the water there for us Scottish romantics. Um, and Naples is a fabulous city, fabulous club who, as we know, have um, uh, enjoyed a, a regeneration in fortunes um, under first Sari. Uh, although I suppose like, you have to say Rafa Benitez did, did well as well. Um, and now uh, our great friend Carlo Ancelotti um, carrying on that good work. Um, so. Insigne for me. Uh, I've not. I've not told you Insigne yet. How do you know that? Um, okay, let's just say I, I have <laughs> insight into Insigne. Lorenzo Insigne, for, again, for anyone who's not familiar with Serie A or who sees it, you know, occasionally, has been an outstanding, outstanding um, attacking midfielder, stroke false nine, both for Italy and for for, for Napoli. Um, he's a local boy, I, I'm sure, um, um, and. He is 27 now. He's had lots of opportunities to move in his career. He's chosen to stay um, in, Na- in, in Naples and play for his club. Um, there was a big, big story in a very reputable um, Italian newspaper this morning that Liverpool had made a bid uh, for him. Uh, I've spoken to some people who I know at Liverpool who said that there was no bid, there was simply an inquiry as to whether he might be available in the summer, as clubs do uh, once the January window closes. They start to look at their um, strategy for the summer. Um, I think the the kind of uh, key here, or the the um, the factor which probably tells us what's going to happen, is that Insigne is up for contract renewal, and uh, he wants to be paid substantially more than he is being paid just now. Now. Napoli's chairman, um, uh, De Laurentiis, is, is, is famous for either being hardline and, and not awarding players contracts that he feels are um, far too much or you know <clears throat> exaggerated for um, for what he gets in return. But at the same time, he, he is also famous for selling players if he feels they don't want to be there. And so, Insigne um, is playing a he's playing a, it's a bit of a gamble here. Um, I suspect he wants to stay at Napoli and just get an improved contract and finish his career there. That's my suspicion. I could be wrong. However, what we know is with the transfer um, catalyst uh, that happens every summer, if we expect Paolo Dybala to leave Juventus, then Insigne would be a, a, a very good replacement for Dybala, even though he normally starts a bit further outside the middle um, he is an exceptional talent with regards to coming inside and scoring goals and also um, assists as well. So um, that might give him leverage. Um, I think he is a homeboy, he's a mama's boy. I don't think he's got that much interest in leaving Italian football. 
uh, and leaving the lovely sunshine um, of maybe even the Amalfi Coast and uh, the beautiful uh, Pomodoro Basilico pasta that they make there. Uh, one of my all-time favourites. Um, so, look, I, Insigne is a, he's a, it's an intriguing one, but I, as I said, uh, my personal opinion would be that he either stays at Juventus, he stays at Napoli, or uh, Juventus come in and uh, try to tempt him to yeah. come and replace Dybala. That would be about as popular um, as the last time Juventus came in and, and, and picked Higuain up uh, yeah. Iguain, and then of course uh, all the Naples street vendors were selling Iguain toilet paper for the yeah. next few years. So that tells you everything you need to know. Um, probably even worse, given that he's a local boy. Um, we're going to stay with Napoli though, and move on to another player that we've talked about in a lot of detail, which is Kalidou Koulibaly. They're towering powerful centre-back, one of the best centre-backs in world football at the moment. Now, we discussed Manchester United and how Jose Mourinho wanted to make him his experienced number one pick centre-back and bring him to United. But that didn't happen. We know Jose's left. So where does that leave Koulibaly? Well, it leaves him very um, expensively priced by said chairman De Laurentiis. Um, who said he would not be allowed to leave for less than 100 million euros, which would be a record fee um, exceeding even um, that of Virgil van Dijk to Liverpool. Uh, so that in itself is an impediment uh, to any team who want to buy him. Uh, in Liverpool's case, when they bought van Dijk, they were in desperate need of that type of player. And you know their investment has, has proven to be a good one. Koulibaly, <coughs> I think, could fit into any team. In, in European football, any big team, he has everything in terms of his his reading of the game is is very very good. His positioning both on and off the ball uh, is intelligent and um, and he's hard. He's one of those proper hard hard men defenders. He you know takes no prisoners. Uh, I'm not saying he's dirty in any way, but you know you've been in a game when you play against him. Uh, and I've spoken to a few strikers who've played against him, and they've they, they've you know shown the scars. So. Uh, there's no doubt that he will be um, of interest again to many clubs um, around Europe. <sighs> like Edward Wood did not, at the point when Jose Mourinho was pushing for Koulibaly to be bought in the January window, um, I think both Woodward and, and the Glazers had lost faith in Mourinho's ability or if maybe before even the January window, um, remember that he bought Eric Bailly and Victor Lindelof and neither of whom had covered themselves in glory. And their argument was, well, why should we spend 100 million euros on one of your next, you know, guesses uh, to play at centre back? Although I think Koulibaly is way above both Lindelof um, and Bay, so that 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 doesn't really hold water. That argument. Um, who else can afford him? Well, usual suspects: Manchester City. Maybe they, you know, have not been brilliant defensively this season. Um, you've got to say that uh, maybe United, if they are going to splash the money in summer. Um, with a new regime in place, yes. I'm not sure Real Madrid need uh, Koulibaly at the moment. I think they've got um, very, they're very well served for centre back um, and a young young players coming through as well. So, um, look, I, I, my sense is that Koulibaly is not a player who is desperate to leave. Um, so, I think it's, a, it's it's possible that if they, you know, that they, they could hold on to him, but it is been historically uh, for Napoli that in the last few years that they tend to sell to buy. So if they want to buy new players into 
improve or augment the squad, then Koulibaly might be sacrificed. Okay, well, that uh, takes us to this week's donkeys. Hey. Obviously, the standard procedure is that um, you will choose the nominees, and Duncan, being the the uh, inspiration of the donkeys, will choose the awards uh, winner. But this week, we're going to change it up a little bit, given Duncan's not here and he's away chasing butterflies. So I am going to select the um, options for you, and you, Ian, are going to choose the winner. I, I, can I just say that I don't think I've ever been more proud than you know this moment when I'm being allowed to select the donkey because I know it'll never come round again. <laughs> Perhaps we should be start calling it the Megari. Um, although I'm not <laughs> oh, sure. I think donkey's donkey right scans and rhymes much better, and his bald head looks much better on that statue than, than mine would ever would. So yes, your mug would not have the same aesthetic grace. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. Um, so the category this week is the Elephant Never Forgets Award for the longest held grudge in football, sponsored by Sir Alex Ferguson. And here are my nominees. So we're going to go first of all with uh, Manuel Pellegrini, who was quick to mention after uh, Liverpool's 1-1 draw with West Ham, or should I say the other way around, West Ham's 1-1 draw with Liverpool, to mention that uh, there was a last eight tie from six years ago played between the two managers. Jurgen Klopp was in charge of Dortmund at that time, and Pellegrini was in charge of Malaga. And he said, he beat me against Malaga with Bruce Dortmund with a goal seven metres offside. So he cannot complain about anything in this game. So Pellegrini has uh, a memory of that and wasn't slow to bring it up after the game. So he's my first nominee. My second one would be Roy Keane. I mean, Keane famously snapped his ligament after a tackle on Alfinger Haaland went wrong. And it was the defender's allegation of feigning that injury that uh, infuriated Urquino. He waited four years for his spectacular, brutal revenge that uh, effectively ended the Norwegian's career. And I, I've looked out his quote in his autobiography, which is just, it's just stunning, really. It's a, it's a work of art. He says, I'd waited long enough. I hit him hard. The ball was there, I think. Take that, you <laughs> <laughs> Oh, magnificent. He's a poet, really. <laughs> he is, he is. Um, and the final uh, nominee is Jose Mourinho, for the first time nominated for a donkey. And uh, Remarkably, his donkey's not here. <laughs> <laughs> there will be conspiracy online. Yeah. Um, so a combination of missing out on the Barca job to then novice Pep Guardiola and their rather unfair perception that his spell at the new Camp was merely uh, with him as a translator meant that Josie was desperate to get past an unbeatable-looking Barcelona in the 2010 Champions League semi-final, um, the game where he literally parked the bus. Now, of course, you will remember that things got off to a bad start when Thiago Motta was sent off early on in the game, but his defensive dogs of war held out to claim an ugly but astonishing victory over two legs. In the first leg, and, and after the, the, of course, Inter won 3-1, and after the game, he said, it's a pity, a year ago Chelsea were crying, and Barca were laughing alongside the referee. They laughed because he denied my Chelsea boys their rightful place. And in the second leg, he said, it was incredibly tense today. Against a team such as Barcelona with 10 men, it was something historical, something mythical. I thought that was beautiful. That is poetry. That is poetry. And, and Jose, as we know, never says or does anything without thinking about it first, because uh, he knows the... Um, the carnage and consequence. <laughs> so this is a hard one for me to for, for me to choose, for me to pick a winner out of because um 
Um, Pellegrini's a very nice man, and so it takes a lot to wind him up, uh, Johnny. And so t- for him to come out and say that against Klopp shows the um, the, the depth of his wound. Um, whereas with uh, with Jose Mourinho, there's always an elephant in the room. Um, Duncan Castles. <laughs> That's harsh. He's not that big, or he, even his ears aren't that big. Uh, so, but but I think I think you know the award, especially as it's sponsored by the great Fergie, has to be awarded to Roy Keane, who um, has an elephant in every room in his house uh, that he probably has an argument with uh, at various times during the day. And remember, the Alfred Gahaland grudge was not, you know, that was. That was good and brutal, but you've got to remember as well that Saipan 2002 Republic of Ireland's um, World Cup preparations were rocked by the massive row between Roy Keane and Mick McCarthy, who was then manager of the Republic, about the conditions of the pitch, the hotel, the way the FAI had stuck them all in uh, cattle class on the, on the plane on the way there while they all sat in business class. And uh, to my knowledge, he's never spoken to Mick McCarthy since. So that's a good 16 years of grudge. Um, and then, of course, there's the wonderful and unforgettable uh, infamous video that he uh, that was shown um, not on Manchester United television, but to his Manchester United teammates, where he absolutely ripped each one of them to, to pieces, saying they weren't fit to play in that shirt. Um, and I think there's a few grudges held by the players in that dressing room, never mind keen towards them. Uh, and of course, that effectively ended his Manchester United career in some ignominy um, when Fergie showed him the door. And uh, of course, he went off to bigger and greater things with Celtic. Uh, so uh, for me, Roy Keane is this week's uh, a very, very worthy winner of the Donkey Award. And um, the next time that we see him, I'm sure that we'll give him that golden statue. Well, yes, Ian, I was just going to say that news just in, because you have awarded Kino the awards, you're the one that has to deliver it to him. That sounds good to me. Uh, I, I like I like nothing less than staring into the, that dead soul of his eyes. <laughs> have you had any boxing lessons recently? You uh, might need uh, them. I might just hire a bodyguard. That'll be quicker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's time to slam this particular transfer window shut. But fear not, we're going to be back on Friday to fulfil all your podcasting needs. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter. Well, we are on Twitter because it's uh, not all of us. It's just the two of us tonight. Uh, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane and Ian is at Garbo SJ. Now, Ian, this would be a good point for you to explain the whole Garbo SJ thing. What is even going on there? Right, OK, so I, in my journalistic career, I have two nicknames, one in England and one in Scotland. And my I'll not tell is... you what your nickname is in Scotland. It's uh, it's quite offensive. Is it okay? Well, <laughs> well, well, okay. The people who like me used to call me Garbo for obvious reasons. My second name, and uh, in England, I was known as Super Jock. Oh, <laughs> because because I was feared as the as the as as the greatest reporter of Fleet Street. At least that's what I told myself. Uh, and my uh, all my mates and my colleagues called me Super Jock. So Garbo SJ is a combination of both. Very good, very good. That finally makes sense to me. See, the um, only disappointing thing is that none of our listeners have actually asked that question of me, so they, they obviously don't care. <laughs> I always remember back to the first time I ever did the podcast and I pronounced it uh, in the Hungarian Garbozje. It, it, uh, it sounds like a, a thick bean soup. <laughs> if you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review, as this helps us reach as many listeners as possible. Until Friday, thanks for listening.